Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and welcome to Episode 2 of our special four-part series on Coming Back Stronger, sponsored by Microsoft. We're looking at life after the pandemic and exploring what it would take to not just come back, but to come back stronger. Now, in our first episode, we talked about what companies can do, how they can get ready for post-pandemic life and all the things they have to prepare for. But today, we're going to talk about individuals. Because if, as an economy and a labor force, we're going to come back stronger, we have to start with individuals. And we have to start with just getting through this phase of pandemic working. And as workers, we may need some help with that. I really wanted to find the right guest to talk about all of this and give us some guidance. So I was really happy to come across Monique Valcour. She's an executive coach. She's based in France. And I'd read her work in the Harvard Business Review. She wrote about helping others come through crises, cope with managing as they did that. And when I talk about crises, I mean real crises. Monique has done leadership work with professionals at the United Nations. And these are people who are managing pandemics as well as natural disasters and armed conflicts. So she has some great insights. I really enjoyed my conversation with her. Please stay with us to hear it. Well, right at the moment, finding the resilience to keep going at work can seem like a difficult thing to do. The pandemic is lifting our stress levels in general. When it comes to our work, many of us are having to learn new things, take on new responsibilities, and do all of that while working under new conditions, and sometimes conditions that are not optimum. So, no wonder, we feel overwhelmed and stressed, and as this crisis goes on, a lot of us feel increasingly burned out. Well, our guest today is an expert in all of these phenomena, and she's also an expert in coaching people on how to deal with them. Monique Valcour is an executive coach, and she helps her clients create and sustain fulfilling and high-performance jobs, careers, and lives. She joins us now from Paris. Hello, Monique. Hi, Linda. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, thanks for being here. You know, I want to talk about all of the stresses and coping strategies, but I always like to start by asking people about their own lives. How did they get to this place where they're helping other people with work? Where did your career start? How did it take you here? Well, I don't know how far to rewind my career for you. I think I'll start in the late 90s when I entered a PhD program in organizational behavior. And throughout my PhD and my dissertation and in the work I've done since then, I've always been very interested in people's capacity to create the career and the life that they want, uh, the strategies that people can use, the um, personal characteristics, the routines, um, the, the mindset shifts that people can make to maximize their well-being and their success as they define it. So that's probably the basis of um, the work that I do today around supporting resilience. And resilience is the theme of our lives these days. We're trying to be resilient and come back out of this crisis stronger. How do you define resilience, though? It's kind of a broad term. Yeah, resilience is the capacity to flex in the face of strong forces, uh, to adapt, and to be able to renew and rebound. 
Yeah, I like the idea of flex, right? It sounds mm-hmm. like we won't be broken by it. Um, you know, sometimes we forget we had lives before the pandemic because it seems like this has consumed us for months now. But there was a lot going on before that. I didn't hear that people were particularly tranquil before uh, the beginning of 2020. When you go back to what you were seeing before we added this, what were the issues there for people? Where were the stresses and where were the concerns? Yeah, that's a good observation. I think it's very easy to think, you know, where it, the time is divided into, you know, kind of BC before coronavirus and after. And um, while it has been a massive uh, global stressor and a phenomenon that has affected most people on the planet to some degree, although some much more severely than others. Um, it, I, I think it's pretty true that we've been living in a world that buffets us with stressors for quite some time. So on the work side, you know, for many years, really since I began my research um, over 20 years ago, There's been a phenomenon of overload, of overwhelm, of people having really high work demands, um, high demands on the personal side, um, some of which are imposed, um, some of which may come um, sociologically or internally in terms of things like expectations of what kind of parent we need to be. Um, You know, the stresses that people face are pretty different uh, according to where you fall socioeconomically. Uh, Intersectionality is really big. I mean, people of color, for example, experience a set of stressors that may not be experienced by, uh, uh, you know, by people who are white and certainly people who are upper middle class. Um, But I would say, you know, a confluence of, uh, you know, work overload, the um, sense of certainly our shift to being completely connected to our devices has introduced another dimension of real struggles with distraction and remaining focused and the sense of always looking at other people's lives and comparing our own uh, to, to the lives of others, along with all of sort of the garden variety stressors that um, you know, people have dealt with for for quite a long time. I mean, for example, most people, you know, I've coached hundreds and hundreds of people over the years, and most people look more confident on on the outside than they feel on the inside. And this is what we had before putting a global pandemic on top of it. Yeah, it's a difficult thing. You know, one thing I found really interesting is that you've written about work you've done with leaders at the United Nations. Tell us about that, what they're looking for, and what you've been able to help them with. Yeah, so I've been working with UN leaders for the past five years. Um, My own background was, uh, you know, after I did that PhD, I became a management professor. I worked, I was on a management uh, faculty for six years in the US and then six years in France completely burned out myself, my own side story about stress. Um, And then, you know, took a little bit of time to reconstruct my own career in such a way that I, I put it together from, uh, you know, by focusing exclusively on work that I find interesting and fulfilling, basically just filling my portfolio of activity with things that I uh, find energizing rather than depleting. And that was about the time that I connected with the UN system staff college. 
which serves as uh, the, you know, the primary training agency that serves all of the other agencies of the UN. And I've been doing leadership development and executive coaching with them over the past five years. Um, and it's been a really fascinating, you know, having having spoken with hundreds of um, UN staff and leaders over the years, I've really gotten um, a pretty intimate look at the kinds of stresses that they face. Um, and of course, there's, you know, there are, there are multiple stresses. Um, you know, I don't know if you'd, if you'd like me to go into that right away. Um, sure. Or, Tell yeah. us about that. Okay. Yeah. So of course, you know, first of all, you have people who are typically tasked with pretty ambitious mandates and often working um, in zones where there's a lack of infrastructure, where there may be conflict, where there may be uh, disease outbreaks or armed groups or uh, very low capacity in terms of human capital, in terms of uh, physical infrastructure, in terms of funding availability, um, combined with a lot of political um, uh not necessarily conflict, but multiple stakeholders who may have diverging objectives um, and the stresses that come from working in a very large, complex organization with a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of internal political pressures. So, you know, I look at the UN, which is not one organization, it's a whole collection of organizations uh, along with member states, but I view it as sort of the world's most complex organization. And so therefore, all of the different stressors that can arise in doing organizational work are present, um, you know, plus the work is often taking place, um, you know, in a situation where you're you're you may be working with a population who is facing basic threats to their health and security and well-being. So how do you help them through that? Like what are the things that have been useful to cope with that? Yeah, that's a that is a great question and it depends in a certain way um you know there's not like one recipe that applies to everybody. But, um, you know, some of the, the key things are, first of all, having a sense of what, you, what your purpose is, uh, what, why are you doing what you're doing. And most of the people who come to work for the UN and for humanitarian organizations in general tend to be pretty mission-driven people, people who really have, um, you know, take meaning from working on behalf of disadvantaged people or really wanting to improve the lives of people who are suffering in some way and contribute to the world in that way. So that can be pretty powerful. Now, the realities of navigating budgets and uh, bureaucratic procedures and, you know, various constraints on a day-to-day -day basis can um, water down how potent and how tangible that sense of purpose is. So one of the things that I do with leaders is to really help them to stay connected to their sense of purpose and also to be constantly looking for progress, really inviting that 
conversation around the meaning of work and around the impact that we're having to be something that they are um, cheerleaders for, that they keep that at the center of the conversations they're having with their teams and in their agencies. So that is a sort of, you know, boosting of morale, boosting of the sense of, you know, I may be working incredibly hard. I may be in a very difficult set of circumstances, but I truly believe in what I'm doing and I have a vision for what I'm doing. So that is pretty powerful. Um, I do see with many leaders who work in the humanitarian sector, and, and certainly this extends to lots of corporate settings as well, a tendency to ignore one's own needs, um, to just, uh, you know, work more, longer, harder. Um, and oftentimes this shows up on 360 degree leadership assessments when leaders will be soliciting feedback from their colleagues and from the people who report to them. It's pretty common to see. And I have to say, actually, particularly among women, in my experience of reviewing a few hundred of these, um, a tendency to uh, deprioritize one's own well-being for the sake of continuing to deliver on, um, you know, what one is accountable for externally. So a key thing that I do in working um, with all of my coaching clients is to help people to be much more internally attuned to the signals that they're getting um, from themselves, whether it's physical manifestations of stress, whether it is um, mindsets that are really based on scarcity, limitations, getting locked into limiting perspectives that um, undermine people's capacity to envision more creative solutions to the problems that they're facing. So self-compassion is another thing that's really powerful. You know, first of all, just kind of noticing the signals that your body and mind are sending to you, learning how to respond to those signals in a way that is um, healthy and productive, having self-compassion for oneself. We often treat ourselves uh, you know, worse than we would ever treat anybody else in terms of the message that we send to ourselves and the kind of, you know, inability, inability to cut slack for ourselves. So learning to cultivate a sense of self-compassion is really quite essential as a leadership practice for anybody um, in any setting who wants to be able to lead and motivate and energize other people. You really have to be able to do that for yourself first. Um, you know, being aware of what it is that energizes you. And typically that is a combination of doing work that's meaningful, of engaging positively in relationships, both in the workplace and um, in our personal lives, um, making sure that we're taking time for adequate sleep, for nurturing our emotional reserves of energy, you know, for making connection, for having some some exercise, and for caring for our cognitive energy as well, so that we have the capacity to maintain a, a focus, um, to, you know, complete work efficiently, and we're not getting ourselves so muddled um, and overwhelmed with work that, you know, we're finding ourselves in a mode of reacting constantly to crises and putting out fires and never having time to step back, reflect and prioritize appropriately. So there's lots of different things.
Yeah, that, that's a great list. You know, I've spoken to a lot of people, leaders and not leaders, and it seems like seeing the big picture is really one of the hard things right now. People do feel like they're putting out fires continuously. And I'm concerned about this because even before the pandemic, when you had this really strong economy, it was hard to find good people. People still felt overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's a lot less strong in a lot of places, and people feel like they have to step up. Do you see this as something we're going to be able to cope with, or are you concerned about where it's going? Um, again, I think that it's you know there's a there's an enormous amount of variation. So I mean, you're the you're the economic uh, forecaster in this conversation. So I'll leave that um, judgment to you. I, do, I I I think that the labor market and and patterns of work are. Um, are pretty varied. Uh, you know, I think that one of the things that the pandemic is actually probably going to accelerate is the tendency um, for more people to be engaged in contract work, self-employment, um, portfolio careers, some sort of externalized labor arrangements. Um, and that has, you know, its upsides and its downsides. Certainly there are problems with um, many professions and organizations where the culture is one of total dedication to work and, you know, doing whatever it takes to satisfy clients, et cetera. And that can be really overwhelming and wear down people's resilience. But it, it, it can also be, um, you know, working kind of having freelance roles or having to constantly develop business as well as to complete your work can be both liberating, but also can be anxiety producing as well. Um, So I don't know that there's a clear picture going forward. Um, Certainly the kind of wellness industry, coaching, uh, you know, mindfulness industry, etc. is all pretty active nowadays. Um, I think, you know, there's kind of solutions are around working with organizations to try and put in place systemic um, solutions wherein, you know, they have to start at the top with leaders actually believing that the well-being and sustainability of work is something that's strategically important where in, you know, many organizations, it's much more of an add-on. Um, and, you know, so having some structural things in place, some organizational things in place, and also helping people to find their own practices and routines that support well-being. So it, I think it's going to be an ongoing um uh, I, I hesitate to use the word struggle because it's also really about just, you know, awareness and a set of practices, but it's something, you know, that's going to, it's, it's part of the human condition, basically. Monique, lots more to talk about in the pandemic. Just hold on a second. when I come back and we will delve into it much more. Microsoft 365 is designed to help you achieve more with innovative office apps, intelligent cloud services, and world-class security. Get work done with productivity solutions and stay connected with your employees and clients, whether you're working remotely or on-site. Microsoft 365 allows you to safeguard your business data with a cloud platform that offers built-in security features for remote and hybrid work. Visit aka.ms forward slash m 365 biz that is F-O-R-B-I-Z, to learn more about Microsoft 365 for Business. 
Okay, we're back with Monique Falcor. She's an executive coach talking about the stresses we're facing in general, but also as a result of this pandemic and how we can come back, perhaps be resilient against all of it. You know, I want to ask Monique, is this pandemic different from any other crisis? We've seen recessions and reorganizations before, and those have rocked through every organization. Do you see this one as the same or, or different in other ways? Um, it's, it, you know, it's hard to say. Um, it, it, I, I'm almost, as, as you're asking the question, I'm thinking about, um, you know, the types of like the, you know, the 2008 economic recession, et cetera, reorganizations that people may have experienced that, uh, you know, but I'm also thinking about uh, so many of the world's peoples who have experienced crises like having to migrate because you know their their home city has been uh, you know under under attack, et cetera, or um, you know climate driven migration, et cetera. So you know there are certain elements of this current pandemic that are you know fairly fairly unique um i think it it affects different people differently i think one of the things that is um fairly unique about this is it it is really affecting all of the countries around the world so it is perhaps one of the most widely experienced crises um as a you know that we've experienced on the planet that we've all pretty much been aware of um, and it's affecting people on a number of different levels. I think, you know, that this phase that we're in, uh, however many months in we are now, eight months, 10 months, um, that there's this just sense of uncertainty. You know, we know we're heading into a really dangerous phase and we don't have any idea really when life is going to return to normal or to some new um, homeostasis point that feels like a normal, even if it's uh, something we haven't experienced before. Um, and we don't really have a sense of how bad the ultimate health impacts will be, the economic impacts. Um, there's an awful lot that is uh, unknown currently. So, so you're you're talking to workers and you're talking to managers. Mm-hmm. What are the things they're most concerned about eight months or ten months in? Because I think at the beginning it was sort of a band aid. Let's just try and keep going. Let's figure out you know how to use technology to make this work. But now we're kind of in a different spot. What are they looking at right now? Yeah, good good question. Um, I think it depends also uh, by sector. You know, there are some uh, there are some sectors that are are really being massively. Um, devastated by this there are others you know there are some sectors that are even thriving if you're a provider of uh you know video communication platforms this has been a fantastic opportunity um um <laughs> uh for for you but um for an awful lot of people it does call into question the stability of your business model or of your um you know the kind of work life that you have had um, so what I'm what I'm seeing in the work that I'm doing currently is um, interestingly I, I don't know how you know how pandemic specific it is. There's a lot of how do we take care of ourselves and our employees that I'm seeing. There are some people who have adapted much more rapidly to being able to conduct their organization's work efficiently and effectively. Um, 
without being co-located. You know, they've switched to online much better. I have some other people. I was coaching a senior leader one day last week who has an enormous amount of fear around uh, the fact that the relationships he's built up over time are going to eventually go away and he doesn't feel that he's capable of building the same quality of relationships over Zoom or some other platform, which are utterly essential for his success in his role. Um, so there's, you know, a little bit of skill shifting. How do you actually, you know, how can you be effective? There's certainly plenty of technological challenges. Um, you know, people do not have equal access to high-speed broadband, to spaces to work, and that sort of thing. And there's a lot of um, human impact in terms of, uh, you know, like for employees who live alone, there's an awful lot of loneliness. There's certainly issues around, um, you know, family and parenting, how do we, you know, it was sort of a fine for a while to think, okay, we're just going to stay in our pajamas all the time and, and just eat popcorn. And, you know, we're, we're being self-compassionate, but <laughs> over time you sort of have to, you have to, you know, think about, okay, you know, how do we, how do we make a meaningful life, stay healthy, stay, you know, productive in, in this. So there's uh, some questions around how do we support people um, being able to, live a multi-dimensional life, be productive um, employees uh, in a much, much more constrained space and time, basically. So what are the things you'd like to see organizations doing to support people? Mm, gosh, where to begin? Um, I would love to see this as an opportunity for organizations um, to become much, much more human-centered. Uh, I've seen a lot of wonderful things happening. I've seen some managers surprising themselves with being able to um, actually get to know their employees better uh, with their sort of daily check-ins, with seeing people in their home environments, with experimenting, you know, with being a little bit more honest about what they're experiencing. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, we're, in a, we're in a time of great experimentation. I'd love to see a real emphasis on um, enabling, you know, recognizing the full humanity of people and looking for new ways to support employees in um, contributing effectively. And that really requires letting go of mindsets that people have. You know, there still are an awful lot of employees who feel like this is just a holdover. You know, you can't really do business effectively on a remote basis. And we're just making do until such time as it's safe for us to travel and to convene in person again. And there are other people who are saying, wait, this is really a time to innovate and to experiment with new ways of relating. Um, so I, I would love to just see an awful lot of openness, experimentation, willingness to question, um, uh, you know, the assumptions that we've been holding. There's a lot of research I'm sure you're familiar with that's showing that uh, women are really bearing the brunt in terms of people uh, exiting from the workforce because it's just too much to try and handle family demands at the same time as to maintain employment. Um, and I think that to counteract that, organizations really need to be a lot more flexible in thinking about how do we 
you know, how do we provide service to our clients? How do we, how, how do we determine um, what good performance is, what it means to be a member of this organization, you know, maybe looking at uh, more opportunities for people to be job sharing or having reduced uh, time arrangements or reduced workload arrangements. I think that would be really helpful. Um, I think being, you know, much more sensitive to and um, inviting about what employees full range of experiences, how well they're doing. I'd love to see companies uh, prioritizing building psychological safety, uh, making a, you know, using this as a real learning opportunity and an opportunity to kind of lay down our, the shields and the masks that uh, many people live behind um, and to be much more open and inquisitive Um so there, there's an awful lot. I mean, that's that's really just a sampling. But I think that the, you know, the symptoms, the indicators of where things are not working is when you have a lot of people working at home and just barely sort of holding it together, you know, feeling like they're they're bad employees, they're bad uh, parents, they're bad spouses, they're putting on weight, they're not happy with what they're doing, um, and I think that uh, organizations have a role. In uh, in helping people to to thrive in this new uh, this new way that we're all working, you know, I asked earlier, can we compare this to other crises? And in some ways, you know, as we said, you can't, some you can't. But when you look at how people have coped with things, whether it is recession or whether it is the UN leaders you talked about earlier who've had to to deal in really difficult circumstances. How do they look after the crisis? Like, how do they change in terms of worldview or their goals or their effectiveness? Are, are there things you've noted? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, and what I'm, you know, what I'm thinking about is, is this a, you know, your question is is making me wonder and reflect on to what extent this is a pause, a kind of holding place until we return to something previous or a, a pivot point. And I think that's going to, yeah, I think that's going to vary. Um, I do think in some respects it is going to send us into a new era because I mean, we're, you know, for many years we've been debating about, you know, can people work effectively remotely? And your answer to that question kind of depends to a certain extent on your pre-held assumptions. You know, I think I tweeted about a month into this, into this pandemic that, you know, everybody who loves working from home is uh, concluding, you see this pandemic proves that um, everybody, you know, most jobs can be done from home. And everybody who hates working from home is concluding, well, see, this shows us that working from home is a nightmare. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a little bit of that. But, um, you know, some of the people who I am seeing, you know, I, I think, for example, we're finding that, oh, gee, actually, organizations can save a ton of money by, you know, having less real estate, by sending people on less business trips, by, you know, having remote conferences instead of taking over, um, you know, a hotel and, and paying for all of that accommodation, catering and, and meeting rooms, etc. So I think there are some things that are likely to persist. I think that there's going to be a lot more distributed and remote work that's probably, um, going to continue on. Um, it'll be interesting to see how sort of the ways that work 
is organized uh, evolves what what persists from this time that we've been working together whether um, I'm really interested to see whether there are you know differences in in uh, how people work collaboratively that arise um, you know I think in some teams and in some organizations there have been really hopeful signs in terms of people learning how to have more effective meetings, uh, how to be in contact um, in you know ways that don't involve sitting in meetings all day, but kind of checking in with each other quite quickly. I think other other settings, people are just trying to replicate what they used to do in person um, over video conference, which is which is less effective. Final thought, Monique, if you had one tip you could give people to build resilience, what would it be? Oh, gosh, I have to just choose one. (laughs) Okay, two. I would say, (laughs) you know, honestly, probably the most fundamental um, piece of advice that I've been giving for years is to learn to, to pay attention to what energizes you and to what drains your energy. And to, to lean towards those things that are energizing and away from those things that are diminishing. And this is not simply a principle for individuals to use to kind of, you know, you can, you can declutter your life and your calendar by getting rid of stuff that you're doing just because, you know, it once was valuable to you or you got the idea from somebody else that this is something you should doing, but that it actually is just an energy drain. Um, it's also a good principle to use in teams and organizations. Where are the moments where, you know, our people are feeling uplift, uplifted, they're feeling mission driven, they're feeling a sense of progress uh, and a sense of impact and significance in the work that they're doing and heighten the conditions that are creating that moment. Um, and it really begins with um, setting aside our preconceived notions or habitual patterns of this is how we work, you know, that this is, it's really easy when you're in a routine or a habit, just as when you live in a single culture, to assume that the way that you work is the normal way, the logical way. Um, this is one of the things that's really fascinating about about the UN is it's such a multicultural organization, and usually there's not one specific culture that's dominating. So nobody is the normal one. Um, it kind of facilitates, you know, a uh, being able to step back and reflect on what's uh, you know what's helpful and and what may be just sort of strangely idiosyncratic about one's own. Um, culture, habits, ways of working. So I, you know, I would really invite people to be more connected with their own felt experience, both individually and collectively, uh, whether it's in their family, in their team, in their organization. And with that knowledge, with that being able to notice, um, you know, when am I, when are we thriving, uh, you know, in a state of flow, experiencing a sense of more of high morale, of progress, um, and let's do more of either that activity that we're doing, let's recreate the conditions that we have at the moment that we're experiencing that. Really, I, I encourage everybody to approach their life, their career as a, an ongoing self-directed experiment. 
you know, be a, approach yourself as a social scientist might with great attention, with curiosity, and without a sense uh, of already having concluded what works, what doesn't, what's logical, what's not, um, because there is just so much to learn and so much to discover. This is one of the wonderful things about coaching is, uh, you know, I get to do this with people uh, every time I get on a coaching call. So that, that's basically my advice. Monique, thanks so much for being here today. It is my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Monique Falcour is an executive coach. Well, that's it for today. If you do want to know more about Monique and her work, please check out our show notes. You'll find some links there as well as her bio. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at, at @relentlessego. If you did enjoy this conversation, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help people to find us and help us to continue conversations around the future of work. Thanks so much to Microsoft for sponsoring this conversation on Coming Back Stronger. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a Relentless Economics production. 